Hi, I'm Andy McGeady, and this is episode two of a podcast that is still yet to be named. Look back at week two of the European Rugby Champions Cup, sponsored by Heineken. The English clubs not doing so great so far, lads. Leinster won ugly in France against Castro. Ulster, unfortunately, they're pretty much gone. Beaten by Toulon. There's a sighting came out of that game. We'll have a little chat about that. And Munster did very well in dispatching a very good uh, Saracens team on Friday night. They'll take a lot from that. Another ugly game, but effective. Little look forward then to next week's happening in Dublin, which is the Sports Summit. Something new on the Dublin sporting scene, and something which I'll be very happy to be involved in. But first, the rugby. Let's start talking. It's never a great sign for a game when people coming off the pitch at half time say you have to try not to get bored out there. And that same word or a variation of saying comes up in a post-match interview for the other team. But that's what happened on Friday night in Limerick when Munster dispatched Saracens 14-3. Munster dominated territory and possession in that game. They kicked the ball many, many times. In fact, it was the most times a Munster side had kicked the ball since a November 2012 game against Cardiff in the Pro 12. Uh, They kicked the ball 36 times to Saracens 27. That's very much playing Saris at their own game. And Munster did it really, really well. They kicked behind Saracens again and again. Uh, For the most part, they didn't let Saracens run the ball back at them. They tackled really, really effectively and they did not allow cheap turnovers. In fact, Munster won the turnover battle. They only conceded 10 turnovers to Saracens 14 despite having over five extra minutes of active possession. That's, That's a real achievement. It shows how clinical they were. It was Cup Rugby, and it was the first time that Saracens have conceded just three points since they did so against Claremont in uh, their 2012 home quarterfinal loss to the French side. Munster are now the first team to hold Saracens to single figures twice in the Heineken or Champions Cup. And only Toulon and Claremont have ever done it once. Leinster in France, early Sunday afternoon. Nice day over there for some running rugby. We didn't see much of that. An early cast try rumbling over the Leinster try line was one of the few times in which Players from either side troubled the opposing 22. It was that kind of game. Jamie Heaslip again took down a ferocious amount of ball. 23 carries against Wasps and another 20 against Castro. And it was a more significant amount of his team's carries than the previous week. And again, you had both the uh, both his back row colleagues, Reese Ruddock and Dominic Ryan, again getting into double carries, double figures carries as well. So there's where the Kean Healy and Sean O'Brien carries are getting picked up. Very simply. Matt O'Connor would have been very, very happy with Leinster's discipline in a number of areas of the game, particularly uh, penalty-wise in the first half. 
they only conceded one penalty in the first 40. That was kind of undone when they then came out in the second half and conceded six penalties in the first 17 minutes. That's not a great idea on a day where it was obvious there weren't going to be a shed load of tries. Ian Madigan was doing his best for the tee, nailed seven penalties in all, uh, which is a, a very decent haul. And Leinster were very efficient at the ruck. 97% ruck efficiency, yes, take that all day long. That is a very, very, very good number, and it's one which uh, all teams would aspire to, to achieving. Sean Cronin had another iffy day from the Aki. Another two crooked throws. Leinster scrum was a bit shabby. They're going to have to sort that out before Harlequin's home and away in December. Harlequin's scrum made mincemeat of wasps, especially in the second half of that match uh, on Sunday evening. Uh, Leinster need to sort this out. Ulster welcomed Toulon and it was a difficult time for the Ravenhill fans. It was an almost impossible task against the twice defending champions who are just still such a powerful team. Even losing Fernandes Love and Matt Guido within you know, the first, first part of the first half and they bring on Joanne Smith and James O'Connor who whatever about the merits of him playing fly half is still a heck of a player. To, uh, to take off your bench. And Ulster lost 13-23, but in reality there was much more than a 10-point gap between the sides. Toulon were monstrous at the breakdown and Ulster couldn't get near them. It was, uh, it, was, it was great to watch. And some of the skill that Toulon showed in attack was also very, very impressive. One might ask why, having played so well in recent weeks, the size of Stuart McCluskey wasn't employed at inside centre where it's Stuart Olding, who's not a giant, was. I'm not sure that's where the problem really really lied. Now, admittedly, Stuart Olding in his 47-odd minutes on the pitch before he was taken off early due to a loose boot to the head, let's say, um, he'd already missed four tackles of those that were going down his channel. But I just wonder, is the real issue Jared Payne at 13? You've got a very, very good outside centre sitting on the bench in Darren Cave. And you've got a very, very good fullback in Jared Payne playing 13. I'm not sure why he wouldn't be better employed at what looks like his more natural position. Now, Louis Ludic is a fine player. I'm just not sure if he has the X factor that Payne does have when he's running from deep. When he makes those almost like ghost lines running through or he looks to be gliding through space that maybe no one else had spotted at the time. For me, that whole backline looks different if that change is made. And unfortunately, maybe it's too late for us to European season, but not too late for their Pro 12 season, where they are quite well positioned and could definitely make a run if they put all their eggs in that basket. And for Ireland, maybe there's a decision that has to be made there as well. Is Payne a fullback who can play 13 or a 13 who can also play fullback. It's a decision that probably needs to be made for Ireland's sake as well. Because Rob Kearney isn't bulletproof. There's a lot of options at fullback. Uh, Craig Gilroy certainly looked in fantastic form. Uh, he was one of the, the real bright sparks for Ulster in that game because he, he made searing breaks and with this few Irish players in any position who can do that. And he can certainly play a fine fullback. Simon Zebo can play fullback. 
the less said about the Luke Fitzgerald uh, experiments, the better. But Payne would certainly give a really, really good option there going into the World Cup. And if he can cover two positions, great. I'm just not sure he is the great white hope at 13 to replace Brian O'Driscoll when you've got someone of the quality of Robbie Henshaw there who maybe Ireland should perhaps be concentrating on in the short, medium and long term. What have you seen over the first two weeks? Well, one thing has certainly been the underperforming English sides. Northampton's blitzing of Ospreys this weekend certainly stands out as an exception to that. And as a whole, yeah, they've underperformed, especially away from home. In games where premiership sides have travelled to Pro 12 teams or top 14 teams in France, they've only collected one point from six games. That was... Wasps losing bonus point when they came within five of Leinster at the ODS last weekend. So in the other five games, they got nothing. Now, admittedly, one of those games was Northampton in Racing, where they played very, very well uh, with a, a an at times bizarre refereeing performance from uh, George Clancy. But they threw a bonus point away with a bit of madness from Ben Foden at the end of the game. Um, but the fact is they didn't get the bonus point. And it's your job not to do mad things and to be good and solid and to sometimes accept that you know what we'll go home with a point from France which is is rarely a bad thing especially at this early in the competition where you cannot win the competition but like like a golf major in the first round you can't win it but you can certainly lose it but Northampton did come back very well and uh, George North especially was absolutely extraordinary in that in, in, in that performance against um, against Ospreys who up until that point had been in winning seven of seven to open both the Pro 12 and the European campaigns, they'd been the only unbeaten side in, in the three leagues. So yeah, Northampton, well done, and that's reflected in the what the bookies have them for the rest of, of the um, of the tournament, which is at five to one. So fairly short outside uh, the leaders, Toulon, which are almost unbackable really. Uh, at nine to four, there's, there's there's little value there, even though Toulon have played fantastically well. They will almost certainly go very deep into the championship. I'm not sure if if, if are you going to get much fun backing to land at nine to four. I'm not sure you are. Um, they're from Paddy Power. They happen to be the the odds maker that I both write for and happen to pull up. Uh, speaking of Toulon, their lock Roman Taufifanua has been cited for that uh, clumsy challenge involving Stuart Olding when Stuart Olding had to come off. It was in the 47th minute of the match at Ravenhill at the weekend. Uh, in the tackle area, a big boot swung at the ball, which was being presented back to the Ulster side from Stuart Olding. And the boot hit Olding flush in the head. It's worth going back to look at the video of this. It's... I suppose it's described in the sighting as an alleged kick. It is certainly a boot of a large human kicking a the head of another human who is on the ground and relatively defenseless because he's presenting the ball. And that's not something you want to see. In my opinion, talking about incidents like these where there is a boot being swung 
be it around the ruck or the tackle area, once your boot gets swung, it's your responsibility where that lands. And if that hits something important like a head, then you probably have to suffer the consequences. This is a very, very tough game. It's a very physical game. There's always been a responsibility on you as a player to be responsible for your own body as well as that as your immediate opponent. Because if rugby ever loses that, it doesn't become a game anymore. It becomes a dangerous mess. That's something which I suppose the tip tackle has, has we've, we've got better at that, at judging that. And even the various uh, debates and controversies about what is and what is not uh, a legitimate challenge in the air or challenging for a ball when someone else is in the air. The goal is right. The goal is right in that protect the players, which in turn will ultimately protect the long term future of the game. But that the ultimate responsibility is not that of the lawmakers. It's on the players. And you can't be swinging boots around. I'm sorry, but I'm not the person who's going to be judging this. That's one person's opinion. And the biggest hope here is that there's no long term effects for Stuart Holding. That's the most important thing here, that he comes back and is perhaps involved in the Irish Autumn Internationals. And we see some of what we know he can be, given the glimpses that he'd shown in his young career so far. Ulster are one of the uh, two lost crew. The seven teams so far that have lost their both of their first two games, which is not a good thing. It's it's a very, very bad thing. In the first 19 years of the competition, um, formerly known as the Heineken Cup, if you lost your first two games, you were not going to a quarterfinal. Now, Harlequins came very close last year in that they gave it a run because they were in a group where they had managed to pick up losing bonus points from both their first two games. And the other teams in the group hadn't gone mad scoring try bonus points, which meant the cumulative total in the pool was a little less than you might have liked. And if you are going to make a run like that, losing your first two games, you need a messy pool, people taking points off each other, and you need to win the group, essentially. You're not going to go through as one of the second place teams. So this year, Ulster, Treviso, Sale, Wasps, Castres, Bath and Montpellier. All of those, if you're a fan of one of those teams, it's unfortunate, but you're probably not going to have to set, set aside money for quarterfinal tickets um, come the spring. But the only team that might pick up some hope from Harlequin's journey last year is Wasps. Wasps pick up a bonus point on Sunday against Harlequin's and they picked up a bonus point at the RDS against Leinster. And neither Harlequin's nor Leinster in their two wins so far each have picked up a try bonus point. If that kind of thing continues, if there's the odd draw in the group perhaps to bring down that points total again, um, yeah, that's what Wasps need. It's not been a great opening to the seasons for Wasps fans. There's been a huge amount of uncertainty and now they're going to Coventry. I'm sure Coventry is a lovely place. I'm sure the Rico will be great, but it's it's not great. You don't want that if you're a fan. Um, what we can offer is a little bit of hope. It would be better if Wasps had managed to get a win in the first two games, but it could be worse. Hope can kill a man, but it can also make your season a little bit more interesting for a little bit longer. 
And I suppose that's what Wasp management will be hoping as well as they try and fill a much, much bigger stadium a couple of hours drive down the road from where the old one was. That's probably enough rugby for one week. But next week's going to be a little bit different. Uh, the Sports Summit rolls into town, which is the first time it's been held at an offshoot from the Web Summit, that huge tech conference which was formed by, um, founded by Paddy Cosgrave and it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger until it almost takes over a city for a couple of days. And this time they're having a sports stream to this. So that's going to be really interesting. A lot of interesting people coming over. David Epstein, the author of The Sports Gene, will be speaking. Simon Cooper is over, the Financial Times uh, sports writer, uh, who's, who's really, really worth seeing. Jeremy Schaap from ESPN, as well as lots of different topics. So wearables in sports, concussions, where are we at that? Various technology stages, broadcasting, but also the value of statistics in sports. That'll be a panel on Wednesday morning. I'm pleased to say that I'll be speaking on that, along with Gary O'Driscoll, Dr. Gary O'Driscoll from Arsenal Football Club, Sean O'Connor from Stat Sports, the Irish-based uh, company that they do a lot of work with the Viper GPS units. You might see them on the back of rugby jerseys, for example. And the great Bill James. He who is one of the great influencers of, I suppose, modern sports analytics, where we are now, not just across baseball and American sports, but how that's fed across into the sports that we love here. That'll be a pleasure. I hope to talk to a lot of great people there and hopefully next week I can give you a little bit of flavour to how this sports summit went and the kind of things people were talking about. So, until then, I'll see you next time.